Hey everybody, it is time for the January 2024 Roundup, which is brought to you by Arcane Wonders and their awesome, awesome engine building game, Aquatica. Now, I covered this game a few years ago, fell hard in love with it, one of my favorite engine building games of all time. I'm sure it would make a top 10 list if I were to do that list. But uh, it's already gotten one expansion, and it's been kind of hard to get for a while. It's been out of print, but I just found out that in February, a new print run is coming. So if you've ever been interested in this game, folks, now is the time to get it. It's gorgeous, as you can see from this uh, video taken from my run-through I did a couple of years ago. There'll be a link for that run-through down in the show notes if you want to see this game in action, because it's awesome. And folks, now is the best time ever to get on the Aquatica train, because a little bit later in the year, around Gen Con time, uh, you know, July, August time, they're planning on bringing out a new expansion, which looks like the biggest, coolest one to date. Uh, uh, Robert Geislinger, the head of Arcane Wonders, actually talked about this on a recent R&R episode, and it's, it's just the B knees. As is Aquatica. I mean, just the base game is absolutely phenomenal. And like I said, it's coming back into print. Uh, if you've been looking for it and haven't been able to find it, now is the time. And uh, now, folks, is the time for me to tell you about the games Jen and I played over the last month. Although you're looking at the screen saying, where, what, why aren't you on a beautiful beach or something like that, as I've been doing? Here's the deal, folks. Um, the bug is caught up with me. Um, what it was today, today is, I think, the 3rd of February. Today is the day I woke up and had to make a consistent, repeated trots to the toilet over and over and over again. And uh, you know what that means, folks. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm not sure why it hit me and not Jen. Jen and I are pretty much eating the exact same stuff. But here's the deal. I do not feel well enough to actually walk around on a beautiful beach or uh, the uh, promenade of this beautiful town here. We're in Loretto right now. Jen is out actually going and checking out uh, art galleries and all of that because she feels great. But I'm just stuck here with you. And I'm going to tell you about a few games. Actually, don't worry about me because I'm also stuck here with the most adorable beagles you've ever seen um, who are fine and would like to go for another walk, please. Anyway, though, folks, I am just laying back um, and I'm going to tell you about 13 games that Jen and I played over the month of January. And I got to say, folks, this is maybe one of the worst months for gaming for me forever. There were a bunch of disappointments. In fact, there's a 14th game I could talk about. I am not going to talk about it. I talked about it a little bit in Jen's uh, monthly Jen Jog, but I do not want to rip this game apart, rip it to shreds, because I thought it was literally maybe the worst game I've ever played. Uh, I'm not going to mention it. Again, I talked about it a little bit on the Gen Jogs, but I don't like to tear people down, and I have nothing good to say about this mystery game. So we're going to skip number 14 and go to number 13 on my list, which I think will be a big surprise to a lot of people. It's Ticket to Ride Legends of the West, which made it onto a lot of folks' top 10 uh, lists of the year, and I totally understand why, and it's certainly a very well-done example example of legacy style gameplay but i gotta say folks i'm not the biggest ticket to ride fan in the universe what i discovered a couple of years ago is ticket to ride is at its absolute best when it's like a 15 or 20 minute long game like uh, uh we, when we discovered uh, ticket to ride new york or london one or the other uh yeah london because we love the buses that's why i know that's the way ticket to ride is supposed to be played 
the longer you go into Legends of the West, the longer and longer games get. I mean, they get upwards of an hour and a half, two hours long, and that's for two people because they get so big and so cumbersome and so complex with so many things to consider with every move. And that's great, but I do not like playing a Ticket to Ride that long. And then on top of that, I'm not going to do any spoilers, but there are a whole bunch of cool little new modules that get turned on and then they're around for a few sessions and then they're gone again and all that. I thought every single one of them was cool thematically, and I had issues with how every single one of them was implemented. Uh, you know, in some cases, just because I thought they were done exceptionally terribly for two players, uh, some I just think they were literally bad designs. Um, like, there's ones that'll punish you, right? And then you have to live with this punishment. And eventually, you can take steps to get rid of the punishment. You should get a reward at that point. You, know, you should feel like, yes, oh, that was a real problem. That punishment that was been weighing me down for two games, I finally got rid of it, and it just goes away. You don't get any kind of reward. You don't get, oh, here's a bonus 20 points or something like that. Just tons of little things like that that drive me nuts and uh, make me incredibly disappointed. If I do a top 10 most disappointing games of 2023, Ticket to Ride Legends of the West is on the top. Now, my wife, on the other hand, she wasn't bothered. She recognized all these weird problems, too. Whenever I'd point them out while we're playing, it'd say, yep, that's not great. But she was still having a great time because she loves opening boxes and seeing new things and all the rest of it. And I'm sure a lot of people love it for that reason, too. And maybe the game would be better at a higher player count. Maybe it's just... The, I mean, it seemed like there was absolutely no consideration put into two-player scaling at all, which was very disappointing as well. So anyway, that comes in at number 13. Now let's talk about number 12, Exit Lord of the Rings. Now, I had kind of sworn off escape room exit style things, you know, the exit series, the unlock series. You know, uh, I think over a year ago, I think I'd just kind of been burned out on it. But when a Lord of the Rings one came along, I'm like, okay, Jen's going to love this. We have to try it. I kind of wish I hadn't. It is literally the worst home escape room experience we've ever had. And to add insult to injury, it's listed as one of the easiest of all time. It's only a two out of five star difficulty, but we found by far it was the most unintuitive, uh, you know, just grab bag of random stuff that happened, and we did not enjoy it at all. Um, you know, it, it, like weird stuff. Like they worked really, really hard to kind of retell the story I already know, and I'm supposed to have 60 minutes. Every time I turn to a new page, I've got to read like five minutes worth of text to everybody, none of which is important. There were just a lot of really weird decisions. Now, to be fair, there were some very good, cool puzzles in there as well. And like any escape room, if you figure it out yourself, you'll feel fantastic. But, I mean, we got our worst score ever. And I thought, is it just me? But I went on Board Game Geek, and there are a lot of people saying, yeah, they missed the mark on the exit the game, Lord of the Rings. So anyway, that's number 12. Then there is number 11, Dominations. Now, this was a game, a civilization-building game I got to play many, many years ago, a partial game. Wow. There is something incredibly loud right out that window over there. In Mexico, sometimes cars with gigantic um, boom boxes just walk around and make announcements in Spanish. I have no idea what they're saying, but it sounds like he's going away now. Don't know if you could have even heard that anyway, though. But anyway, number 11. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Number 11, Dominations. A civilization-building game where you are laying out dominoes, or triangle-shaped dominoes, uh, trying to put them in the right place, expanding the, the known world to harvest resources, and then spending those resources to buy a cool little... Uh, cards that you jigsaw puzzle together to make your own private society after pulling all the resources out of the main board. It's a gorgeous game. 
It's smooth, it's fast playing. There was a lot for me to like, but the reason it comes in at number 11 for me, folks, is um, that I was very shocked to find that even in the base game, there were a lot of take that cards. And like, why are these here? I mean, I was already not having a great time because you're constantly trying to one-up each other working on a communal board like Carcassonne, which means you can make some really aggressive jerk moves to cut people off. But then on top, I'm like, okay, I'll live with that. That's kind of the nature of it. But then there's these attack cards that we can build these new um, technologies and whatnot too. I'm like, okay, never mind. If the attack cards weren't there, I think this would rank quite a bit higher for me. Um, but as it is, playing only the base game, those kind of kept it down. So, uh, Dominations comes in at number 11 on the list. Okay, then we go on to number 10, Bamboo. This is something that um, Kimberly covered on the channel last year, and she did a great run-through. And so you, that's what, uh, you, know, you can go check that out. There'll be links for that down in the show notes. There's links for everything I'm talking about down in the show notes, folks, if you want to learn more about these games. But anyway, um, at the time... Kimberly kind of came away thinking, well, I like a lot here, but it just doesn't quite sit with me. And she never really articulated why. I'm going to articulate why it doesn't sit well with me. Um, I love the action selection mechanism. Uh, you know, picking a color of bamboo, that uh, gives me access to certain actions, and then I slide them into this bamboo slide that kicks other ones out, so I'm setting myself up for my next turn. I think that mechanism is awesome. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I like the way we build up our houses, trying to get perfect symmetry on both sides, because we um, can grab objectives that will tell us, okay, we need more of this over here and less of this over here, and stuff like that. I thought that was great, too. But then there's a third element of the game. There is an area control thing where we're also trying to get the most incense lit at the nearby temple. And there's four temples. They all give you insanely powerful special powers, and you have to fight tooth and nail to get those. Every one of your moves is all about trying to figure out how to keep your opponent from taking another majority and getting another one of those special powers. And for me and Jen, it was just too much. I loved everything else out of, about the game, but the uh, area control was just way too aggressive and incredibly swingy. I guess it's okay if uh, in a two-player game, uh, every round, okay, I win two of them and you win two of them. But because of the way they did scaling, it was often the case that Jen might win three or even all four of them. And I'm like, okay, well, I just lost because I got nothing uh, as a consolation prize for those insane powers you just got. So I think it's really cool. Again, I would like it more at a higher player count because area control generally works better at a higher player count. But as a two-player, Bamboo came in at number 10 of the month. Then we go on to number nine, Bonanza, the famous card game from... Uh, Uwe Rosenberg finally played it. They, uh, we met a couple of nice young van lifers at a beach, and they said, you play games? We play games. We got some games. What do we got in the van, honey? And one of them said, we got the bean game. And I'm like, Bonanza? And they said, yeah, how'd you know? I'm like, well, I'm kind of an expert. Anyway, you want to play it? And yes, Jen and I played Bonanza. Finally. This has been on my bucket list forever. And what can I say? I can see why people love it so much. Did not like it. Uh, my problem with it is, it is long. If you're playing with people who like to wheel and deal a lot, it takes way too long. I always thought Bonanza the Duel was just about perfect as a two-player version of Bonanza, except it went on a little bit too long. But now I see, oh no, it's the appropriate length. Board Game Geek says uh, Bonanza should last 45 minutes. I imagine that's if everybody knows what they're doing. If everybody doesn't, this is an hour and a half game, and it shouldn't be. And that's my fundamental problem with it. I like wheeling and dealing. Jen actually doesn't, so that was a real problem for her. That's one of the things that slowed it down. I would play it again, but I'd only want to play it with really experienced players so we could go fast, 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 because the game is just, two trips through that deck is one trip too many. But anyway, that's why it comes in at number nine on the list, Bonanza. Tell me down in the comments if you think I'm crazy. I am sure that's going to uh, raise some hackles. 
Anyway, let's move on to number eight now, Legends of Andor Eternal Frost. And I was very excited about this one when it showed up, brought it on the RV because I love Andor so very much. And, uh, you know, the latest Andors had not really kind of landed with me and Jen. They were making big changes, and this seemed like it was kind of a callback to the original Andor, and it really is. It feels a lot more like regular Andor, and I enjoyed my time with it. Jen and I, we played through the four campaign, although we skipped the first one because it's a blatant tutorial, so we didn't even bother with it. So we only played three. And I, my biggest complaint about this is, unlike the original Andor, there is not a super mission full of really cool replayability with mixing and matching sub-bosses and population and stuff like that. There's one mission that does it a little bit, and one mission that does a different thing a little bit, but neither of them would I want to go back and play again. Um, so... I thought it was great, but it's uh, it's a great version of Andor if you've already gotten all the Andor and you're just jonesing for new Andor. Uh, me, I, I I have to knock it down because it really, really needed that replayable mission, like Mission 3 from the original. And if it had had it, it probably would have made it into my top five of the month. But as it is, it comes in at number eight. Uh, a great, great game if you're only looking to play through it once, maybe maybe twice, but it, it just doesn't have the long-term legs. Although, to be fair, uh, the developers of Andor are always making new spin-off stuff anyway. Anyway, though, let's move on now to number seven, Agricola, the 15th anniversary edition. And I'm sure that's going to be strange for people because Agricola is in my top 10 games of all time. Yes, it is. And here's the deal. I could just say, hey, we played the Agricola 15 expansion, and because it's in my top 10, I'll just say this is my number one game. But that wasn't really fair. Because um, I wanted to do is evaluate what does Agricola the 15th anniversary edition do that's different than regular Agricola? Why should you get this version, which is much more expensive than the regular one? And I got to say, uh, they made choices about this that I would not have made. The biggest problem is a, whenever you put a big box out, generally speaking, you put out the really cool big expansions. And Agricola 15th Anniversary does not come with uh, uh, Farmers of the Moor. You have to buy that separately. And that was a real problem. Instead, it comes with a bunch of gimmick stuff, like the, the season board and you know the X cards that are like sci-fi wackiness. And I mean, those are nice enough, but I don't think anybody was saying, oh my gosh, I have to have all those weird little things. No, people want a big, deluxe, super big box of Agricola that they can put all of the ABC and upcoming e, D, D and E decks and put them all in one place. Um, and the box could have done that, but it doesn't. The card box doesn't quite fit everything. It needed to be a little bit bigger because I've already read on Board Game Geek that the E deck won't fit, especially if you're sleeving. Maybe it'll fit without the sleeves. People were mostly talking about sleeving. Um, and so that was kind of a bummer. And no presence of the uh, Farmers of the Moor was a real oversight. Now, don't get me wrong. It's still great. Still one of the 10 greatest games of all time. But I'm just talking about, should you get Agricola 15th Anniversary Edition? If you don't have Agricola at all and you find it on discount, probably yes, it's the best way to go. But if you're paying full retail, you're probably better off just getting the revised edition um, for its full retail, plus some of these uh, spinoff, and you'll get a bit more and uh, a bit less of the kind of the silly, goofy stuff. So anyway, that was number seven, Agricola, the 15th anniversary. I love the box, though. The box is very, very cool. Some people want it just for the box, and that's cool. Uh, number six is Stellar Drift. Now, this was a sponsored preview I did for a new roll and write that's crowdfunding right now. Uh, go check it out, folks. It is excellent. Both Jen and I loved it a lot. It is maybe the most thematic roll and write I have ever played. Theme just comes through in every single move you make. This is not some kind of abstracted, what do you call it, uh, 
um, spreadsheet exercise that roll and writes are kind of becoming more and more common. This one is you're trying to save your ship from you know crashing into a supernova, um, doing uh, uh, bag building and bag drawing to get the right uh, sections repaired, triggering combos and all that stuff, and it's just fantastic. You can watch my run through of it to get a sense for it. Like I said, links down in the show notes. Then we got number five, pharmacology. Again, another one I covered. You can follow links down in the show notes and watch me play this thing. And I guarantee, folks, if you hadn't seen my video of it, you have never heard of this game, and that's a real shame because it is excellent. It is a dice drafting, dice worker placement game about being pharmaceutical companies trying to cure diseases, uh, you know, develop drugs, uh, you know, vaccines and all of that with really, really smart drafting, customized dice, and, uh, you know, a game that starts out slow, but ramps up so fast. Turns get so big and magically complex and satisfying and heavy. It is phenomenal. Unfortunately, you can only get it through the Game Crafter, but I'm just trying to sing it from the mouthtop, rooftops, so that somebody at some publisher in the board game industry will go check this game out because I think it should get picked up for wider distribution and not just be an uh, game crafter. Anyway, that's number five, pharmacology. Watch my run through to learn more. Number four is En Route, another sponsored uh, a crowdfunding preview I did. This is another roll and write, but here's the interesting thing about this there's no rolling in this game, there's no card draws in this game, there's no randomness in this game. You know, we are trying to make the best. Um, tour through one of several different cities, uh, New York, London, Paris, uh, you know, Rio de Janeiro, I think, was one of them. And all the cities have different functions and ways to score points and all that. And every round, we are going to um, communally, as a group, come up with an XY coordinate that says where new tourists appear and where we can draw the routes to get those tourists connected to what they want to see. We've seen other things like this, but most games would do this where you roll the dice to find out where you put the tourists, where you do the lines. Uh, not in this game. In this game, players take turns drawing um, and working together to come up with these specific coordinates where everybody's going to build. This makes this game so much richer and so much more interactive between players. For people who don't like rolling rights because they're always you know very multiplayer solitaire, everybody's just doing whatever they're doing. They're playing bingo. Not this game. Every choice I make so directly affects you, and every choice you make is based on the choices I make. I definitely recommend checking out the uh, video for it, folks. It hasn't gone live yet, but if you are a supporter of the show, you get to see it early, of course. That is always the case. Um, uh, it'll, the, it'll, the video will be public a little bit later on in the month when the uh, campaign starts. That's my number four of the month uh, en route. The stroll and right. Okay, then we go to number three. It's Agricola. I'm going to talk more about Agricola because in addition to playing um, the 15th uh, anniversary edition, I also threw in the new CD deck. I do not remember what CD stands for. Corellius Didgeridooius. I, I honestly can't remember for the life of me. Uh, but it's a CD deck. Uh, everybody knows it. You can find it on uh, Board Game Geek easily enough. And um, it's just a new deck with a whole bunch of new cards, a bunch of really cool new powers that just, I mean, and so again, this should be my number one because Rio Agricola is in my top 10 of all time. But what I really want to talk about with the CD deck is most of these other little expansions, the A, the B, the C, um, the D and the E, I haven't seen the E yet, they just give you new cards, just regular stuff. The CD deck is different because it also gives you a new way to play. As part of setup, when you're figuring out what your starting hand of cards is, you also draw a few and pick one mother and one father card. And these will give you objectives and direction right from the get-go. The mother will give you, at some point in the game, an extra resource so you know that's coming. The father will give you an extra objective to chase that you can you know, cash in whenever you want to. 
this is a huge improvement. I don't know if I'd want to play Agricola without those mother and father things. It makes the drafting more interesting, knowing that, oh, I'm drafting to try to get stuff that works with his mother and father. Uh, it creates more exciting moments throughout the game. It's awesome, and they should make a big deal about it and put more mothers and fathers uh, in uh, future decks. Fingers crossed. Anyway, that's number three, the Agricola CD deck. And then finally, uh, number two is Flow. Now, um, this one is going to be going live on the channel because it's another sponsored preview for a game that is crowdfunding. This is basically a spiritual follow-up to um, um, Endless Winter. It's from the same folks, and it's absolutely brilliant. You'll be able to see my run-through pretty soon. You can see it now, of course, again, if you are a supporter of the show, because the supporters get to see stuff early. But uh, this was Jen's game of the month. Jen gave this a rare 5 out of 5 stars, which means it's going to be one of her top 10 of the year, more likely than not. And I can't blame her. I think it's fantastic, too. Hey, it's my number 2 of the month. It's a worker placement game set in an anthropomorphized fantasy universe with cute little animals. You have two workers, your, 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 your adventurer and your familiar. And every round, both your adventurer and your familiar, those are your two workers, and they work very differently depending on whether you deploy them to town or out into the world to do adventures and exploring and fighting monsters in caves. It's freaking brilliant. Everybody's going to go gaga for this when people start getting their hands on it, and you'll be able to see it win the campaign. I think I'm actually putting it live up on the channel next week, maybe? So that'll be coming soon. But anyway, that was number two. What is number one, folks? What is number one? I'm glad you asked. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. It is Aeon's End, The Descent. It's the latest standalone, uh, standalone slash expansion for Aeon's End, and it's maybe the best one to date. Because, um, you know, there's a bunch of new bosses, or nemeses, which are always cool and exciting and surprising how original they are. There's a bunch of new playable mages that you get to cooperatively work together to beat the nemeses. You, you expect that. You just expect that from Aeon's End stuff. What this new Descent um, thing adds is a new module that's unlike anything that's ever come before that was designed not by the regular folks, the Aeon's End team, but by Dave Turchi, um, one of the uh, hottest design superstars working today. Turns out Dave is just a huge fan of Aeon's End, contacted them and said, hey, I've got an idea for something I'd like to add to the game. Can I put this in your next expansion? And they said... That sounds really great. Let's do it. So Dave joined the team and brought in the friends and foes system. And it is freaking awesome. I would never play, um, you know, uh, 
uh, Aeon's End without being able to throw in a friend and a foe as well. Because it kind of gives the game a little bit more replayability, similar to what Marvel Champions does. Where you say, hey, I'm going to go up against the Red Skull, but I'm going to throw in um, the, the, the Trolls of Asgard. Those two things combine and become a new challenge for me to do. That's what this does for Aeon's End. Where, okay, I'm going to fight that same nemesis. I might even use the same um, you know, rages that I've fought the nemesis with in the past. But I give the nemesis a different ally, or a foe for me. I give myself a different um, friend, a foe for the ally, and everything feels different. It's awesome, and uh, yeah, you can check it soon. And that is it, folks. I am done. You know, I honestly feel a little better. I haven't had to make a run to the bathroom at any point, and so that's pretty good. So, um, Jen might be back any second, but let me go on ahead and uh, say a huge thank you to all of these people that are zipping by right now. And, um, oh man, I was so sick, I totally forgot to get the list of people that I have to actually shout out by name. So, let me pause for a second and get that list and say thank you to everybody for keeping Rado running. Okay, folks, actually, I am not up to it, so I've got Jen here. She's <laughs> going to read off the names of all the high-level backers uh, as a big thank you. Go ahead, honey pie. All right, well, thank you, Emma Bryce and Eric Z and Adriana Dong yes. and Dr. Fu, Sharon Laubach, Aestus Semulianus? It's the hardest one. Wow. <laughs> April, I got that one. Yeah. Thank you to Moltar. I think I ate um, something with Moltar. Yes, and you did. Jeff Young, thank you. Victoria BHG and Amy. Heather Rudarian. Yeah. Jimmy Schroeder Hansen. Dennis Inti. Yeah. Dave Salvatore. Be sure to thank the nice people. Selma Lee, you thank go. you. Catalin Albert, Marlon Cruz El Crosso, mm -hmm. and Nancy Pope, thank you very much. Charles Hill, Cobra Misfit, KB, Hans Peter Bach, Davy Dewis, thank you very much, and Demwa2030CE. Pretty close. Okay, Jay Huber, Mike Bloom, thank you, Mom Gamer, Lex. Eva Star, no, Eva Tar, thank you very much. Dan Helligan, Jerry Reese, thank you to Blake Wilson and Amber Rail. Brant Fuller, thank you. Steve Ercolini, thank you very much. Stacy Lee, thank you. And Graham Wallace, The Griff, Marilyn, thank you. Cheryl Howard, Jeff Glasson, Chris Arnold, thank you also to Nicholas Elkins. And I think I've done it. You've done it, honey pie. I read and I do appreciate your support. Thank yeah. you. And I think actually you showed me that I've been pronouncing some of them wrong this whole time, potentially. Oh. But anyway, folks, that's it. And there went the rest of the names. Thanks again. Uh, and we will be, or I will be back again next month to tell you about some more games that we play on the uh, road when we're not, you know, frolicking in places like Show this. Show them the prettiness of where we are. We've just come here and parked. All right. Uh, so that's uh, where we're going to be for the next day or two. Maybe play a game or two, uh, depending on how it goes. But uh, that's it, folks. Thank you very much for watching. And thanks again to Fun Again. Not Fun Again. Thank you to Arcane Wonders for uh, helping keeping Rado running. Okay, everybody, see you soon. Bye-bye.